Mishnah. Hey, we're in day 10 of our epic adventure. We're in the bottom of, we left off the Mishnah on the bottom of 10 on the second side on the bottom. The third Mishnah, in the evening a person has to lie down and read the Shema. You have to lie down, the Shema. you have to read the Shema while you're lying down. But yeah. In the morning, you must stand up. It says, The says, you have to read the Shema literally while you're lying down. And in the morning, while you're standing up, the position, the Taita is coming to teach you the position you have to be in. Even though you want to associate, you think reading Shema, you have to stand. No, you, can lie, you have to lie down and read the Shema. You can read, every person can read as the way he is. doesn't matter if you're standing, lying, even if you're walking, even while you're walking, you're going, you're traveling. If so, why is it to say when you lie down and when you stand up? It's not coming to tell us what position you have to be in. No, as we learned earlier, Rishash and the other Sheikh and the other Maidens coming to teach us when you read the Shema. You read the Shema when people go to sleep or when people are sleeping or to when people are waking up. I wasn't traveling. And I got off my donkey and I went down to lie down to read the Shema according to Shammai. And I endangered my life because of the, the robbers. And there's two ways to interpret this. Either by getting that off the donkey by stopping, he put himself in danger because you're traveling at night to just continue, just continue tra- trucking along. Uh, or, other, or others say, no, he, there was no danger. But, but he went down and he was surprised that he was, he was, he, he, he was in danger. They told him that, it was, that you were guilty, you were, uh, was worthy of you. It was coming to you because you violated the words of Basil, because you lied down. Okay, your mother will explain Beis Hillel explains the, his own meaning, the, he explains the reason. The reason for his position, because it says, and he also explains the verse that Beis uses as support, and he explains it, no, that it doesn't mean while, that the position you have to be in, it comes to teach us while you're lying down, when you go to sleep, and when you're sleeping, and when you wake up. Elabishami doesn't explain to us why he doesn't say like Basil seems to be correct. Since there's a black about that, it means you can say to Mishma any way you can. It doesn't matter which position you are. And Mashakhokamecha would seem to mean the times comes to tell us when you read the Shema. So Hamilabishami will answer to you in Cain if that's the case. Name he should have said in the morning and in the evening. Be'erev, the question is, Be'erev, the evening could mean from noontime, when the sun, when you start having shade, when the sun starts, starts tilting to the west. Um, how would I know Be'erev means at night? So the simple answer is because when it says in juxtaposition, when it says morning, then it means literally night. Or you can say it means, you should have said day and night. So, so why does the Torah say when you go to sleep when you stand up? Mamish comes to teach us the position you have to be in. That you have to be in a position of a night of, 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 of you have to lie down at night, kima and kima in the morning when it's time to wake up, you have okay. to stand up. You have to be in a direct position. So wait a minute. The whole everything we learned till now is the whole Shema doesn't say at night like other mitzvahs, by night and by day. It says when you lie down. 
and when you wake up. And therefore, we have all these positions that we learn. When do you read the Shema? Some say, some say when people start going to bed. And you have all, we have all these different opinions. We learn like five, six opinions when that is. Precisely when do people start going to bed. Until when do you read the Shema? Rabbi Lazar says only till people stop going to bed. If you would have said clearly, blankly, day and night, then you would say like all, all day and all night. Okay, boiker, that's why he doesn't say Yom Valayla. Boiker is morning. But morning is when? Till when is morning? Either morning is noon or morning is till, till four hours in the morning. How would I know? Okay, so, so at night you can say that, yeah, Shammai is, of, Shammai is of the opinion that the time to read the Shema is like the rabbis and, and like Rabbi Lezer, from the stars go out till dawn, which is night. He doesn't hold like Rabbi Lezer. But boiker, question is boiker, how could you say boiker? Boiker would mean till, boiker means the morning, the earliest is four hours in the morning, when according to everyone, the last time to read the Shema is three hours in the morning. So either Shammai, maybe Shammai will hold that you can read till four hours in the morning. Maybe you have a few kings, the real spoiled kings, <laughs> that they get, wake up even later, who knows? Or maybe you should, they say you could have said about boiker, about boiker, whatever it is, but that, that's what Shammai says. Now, the question is, what does Shammai do with It says, clearly, you can read the Shema while you're walking. That we need to teach us the Tanya. Like we learned, Nebraisa comes to teach us, the Torah comes to exclude that when is someone obligated to read the Shema, only if he's going about his daily business. But if he's busy with a mitzvah, then he's exempt from reading the Shema. Because we have a rule that someone who's engaged in one mitzvah is exempt from the other mitzvah. If you're busy with one mitzvah, if you're busy doing one mitzvah, you don't have to think about another mitzvah. Right now I'm busy with a mitzvah, and there's a whole discussion. What does it mean? It means, I mean, I'm constantly doing mitzvahs. I'm wearing tzitzahs. Hmm. So does that mean I'm exempt from doing any mitzvahs because I'm, I'm doing a mitzvah of tzitzahs? I don't have to do any other mitzvahs? No, obviously wearing tzitzahs, I, I, it doesn't take away, it doesn't, it doesn't need my attention. I can wear tzitzahs all day and I have plenty of time to, I can uh, chew gum and, 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 and tie my shoes. At the same time, it's not, that's not a question. The question is if I'm busy with a mitzvah. If I'm busy and engaged with a mitzvah, so I don't have to distract myself with another mitzvah. I'm engaged with doing this mitzvah. I have to be totally focused on this mitzvah. So I'm exempt from reading the Shema. Then he continues, and comes to teach us to exempt the chasen. Chassan, who's getting married. This rule applied in the olden days. Today it doesn't apply because today no one really has intent. So there's no point in exempting a chassan. A chassan, until he had relations with his wife, up until three days, was exempt from reading the Shema. Not because he was busy. What's he busy with? He's mentally busy. He's worried. He's anxious. Is, is, is he going to find her? Is she a virgin? Is she not a virgin? Is, is he going to know what to do? I mean, he is a virgin. Is he going to know what to do? He's a chassan, so he's worried. So his mind is occupied with the mitzvah of marrying his wife. Since we're doing the mitzvah, since his mind is occupied with doing the mitzvah, he doesn't have the mental capacity to read the Shema. That's why you need a, a second verse to teach us. You can't learn it from the first, from the general rule that if you engage in one mitzvah, you're exempt. There, you're physically engaged in a mitzvah. Here, we're talking about mental occupation. How would I know that mental occupation also exempts you? So that's what the Torah says, that even if you're mentally occupied with a mitzvah, you're exempt from reading the Shema. How about a mourner? Because mourners are a We'll learn, we'll learn in a second. We'll learn in a second. Very good. <coughs> from here, we learn, whoever marries a, a virgin. Uh, but, 
But it's our mother, but if he's marrying someone who's already married, a widow, then he's obligated because he's not worried. There's, there's nothing to be worried about. He doesn't have to think. He doesn't occupy. So therefore, he, he can do both mitzvahs. He can marry and he can read the Shema. My mashma is affecting what my mashma. How do you know? How do you know this from the verse? Just like a way. You're traveling. What do you mean you're traveling? For business or whatever, for, for pleasure, for yourself. I've called Rishus. So too, it means only if someone, when you're engaged in your own personal private life. So too, when it says when you're sitting at home, also you're engaged in your own personal business. But if you're traveling to do a mitzvah, then you're exempt. If you're engaged in a mitzvah, you're exempt. Talking about how do I know that? Milo Eskin in the cause of our mitzvah. Maybe he's going to, to learn Torah. Maybe he's traveling on the road to do a mitzvah. Maybe he's a shliach. He's going to do, to do mitzvah. Nevertheless, the Torah says you still have to read the Shema. The Gemara says, no, in Cain, if that's the case, the Torah should write, Besheves u Belechas. Besheves while you're sitting, Belechas, while sitting or walk or going. Why does it say when you are sitting? Beshiftecha, u Belechtecha, when you. He should have said while in a state of sitting or while in a state of going. My beshiftecha u belechtecha beshebes didach when you're engaged in your own sitting, you're engaged in your own business. U belechtecha when you're engaged and going in the way in your own in, in your own business. Versus if you're if you're doing a mitzvah, then you're exempt. Are the mitzvah the mechayivs? Are the mitzvah patiris? But if you're engaged in a mitzvah, you're pot. In fact, the Gemara Yochi, that's the case. I feel a kindness on one Even someone who's marrying a widow, he's also engaged in a mitzvah. He's doing a mitzvah. He's getting married. Like you want to know, the reason why when you're, when you're getting married you're exempt is because your mind is occupied, you're worried. But in the case of, um, that only applies in the case of a virgin versus in the case of a man, of a widow, there's no way. <laughs> if the key issue here, because your mind is occupied and you're worried, therefore you can't focus on the Shema. Then even a nami. Even even if he goes bankrupt or or, or 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 his boat is sinking, if he has a personal worry and his mind is engaged and occupied and he's anxious, he should also be exempt from reading the Shema. And if you're going to say maybe, if that's the case, why Why did Abba say the name of Rab? A mourner and the first day of mourning is obligated and all. All the mitzvahs in the Torah is biblically obligated. Chutz is only one exception. Minat tefillin. He's only exempt from tefillin from wearing tefillin the first day. Shadai nemer because nemer ben peir because it says beauty. Shadai It says when Nicheskel lost his wife, Hashem told him that he should act differently than all other mourners. He shouldn't take off his shoes, and he told him peir chachavah sholecha. You should wear your beauty, meaning your tefillin. So peir since. The Torah, so the, the Hashem told Yecheskel that he's different than all other mourners. So firstly, we see that that uh, all other mourners are not allowed to wear tefillin. Hashem is telling him that you're the exception. You are allowed to wear tefillin. But he's explaining the reason. Because it says pe'ercha. Because tefillin is called your beauty. Because as we learned earlier, pe'ercha is the mitzvah that, uh, that Hashem takes pride in. And we take pride in Hashem. And uh, so therefore... And so since tefillin is called pe'ercha, and the mourner has ashes on his head, and he's in a state of mourning, it's not befitting that he should put on tefillin. Um, the question is whether a mourner is allowed to put on the hand tefillin. Maybe this would only apply to the head tefillin, with the ashes, and, and, and it's the head tefillin that's our boast and pride. But that's a separate discussion. So he's explaining why tefillin, tefillin is exempt, why the mourner is exempt tefillin, but he's not exempt of any other mitzvah, including the Shema, even though he's busy and he's, he's, he's mourning. 
the, you said the first day, so that's before the body is buried? or No, no, after? no. That's called, before the body is buried, it's called an oinan. He's not, he's not a mourner. He's exempt from all mitzvahs. But it's after the body is buried, the first day of mourning. The Torah only exempts a person when he's engaged in a, in a worry that has, that's involved with a mitzvah. The chassan is getting married and he has to have relations with his wife for the first time. There, he is, he is busy. His mind is occupied with a mitzvah. Versus here, yes, there's no mitzvah. Yes, it's a mitzvah to, to show mourning, but there's no mitzvah in your heart. You have to be anxious and worried. That's not a mitzvah. It's a personal thing. You said earlier that nowadays the men are not putter? Yes. That, no, no, from, from Shema, the chassan. Why? Because the whole purpose is because you're busy, you're not going to read the Shema with intent. We never read the Shema with intent. So, <laughs> so <laughs> what's the difference? Manish <laughs> And if someone does it, it's arrogant. Because what are you telling me? If you st- don't say Shema, what you're announcing to the world is that every night I read the Shema with intent. Oh, really? Come on, give me a break. <laughs> If you believe that, I have a bridge to sell you. <laughs> so is this the only mitzvah where your mind is preoccupied because of nervousness, etc.? So yes. what about you're baking matzah and you have to get within the 18 minutes? So you're doing a mitzvah, you're time constrained, and if you don't do it on time, just give me an example. I mean, there must be other mitzvahs where your mind would be... You have more than 18 minutes to, to, to read the Shema, so, so that's not, not an excuse. No, but I mean, you could be up against it already, but, but I'm saying... And you can bake the matzah in the afternoon. I was asking you to bake the matzah in the morning. <laughs> when you have to read the Shema, I mean, I mean... Uh, Maybe like a brisk for your son, you know? Okay, let's, 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 uh, let's read... Uh, what about the six continuous mitzvahs? Oh, you're already in the... You're always in the Yeah, yeah, very good. I'm talking about just worry. Is Kavana a requirement of, of uh, saying the Shema? Where you're worried, where you're not the whole Gemara is the mitzvah is required. Yes, you're saying that no one ever reads mechanically. Okay, let's uh, let's move on. We have a lot to cover. Okay. Hachatir the Tiddush of the Beishamai. Beishamai will tell you. Beishamai would say, since Beishamai, how does Beishamai learn learn this out? Says, Ahumibayle Prat or Shluchi Mitzvah. Should we skip one, maybe? Hatan target? No, no, Hatan Tirde Okay. So the the. the why does he have to say since he has since we have why does he, why does he need two things no, 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 so, oh, right. So according to Bishame, it makes sense why you have two psukhim. I need, I need two verses. One, one verse is, B'shifth Chavisecha tells me that if you're busy with your own things, versus if you're busy with a mitzvah, you're exempt from a mitzvah, right? 
comes to teach me that even if you're a shliach mitzvah, well, traveling to do a mitzvah, I'm not doing the mitzvah, I'm just traveling to a mitzvah, you're also exempt if you're going to, to, uh, to see your rebbe, if you're going to, to study Torah, then you're exempt, for example, from doing a mitzvah. It's but not coming to teach you about the position of saying Shema, it's coming to teach you about... No, he's not talking about position. He's talking about, he says, according to Beishama, he says, what's he going to say? It comes to teach me that you're exempt from a mitzvah. So why do I need two th- two exemptions? B'shivcha b'vesecha when you when you sit at home u'belechtocha b'aderech. B'shivcha b'vesecha. Why do I need two exemptions? He said one is coming to teach me when I'm actually engaged in the mitzvah, and even when I'm occupied in my mind with the mitzvah. The other one comes to teach me even when I'm traveling to a mitzvah. I'm also exempt. But Hillel says I need the belechtocha b'aderech to teach me that you can do the mitzvah in any position. So how does he learn that when you go to do a mitzvah, you're exempt from a mitzvah? He will tell you, Yes, I can learn both from it. Yes, he's coming to teach me that I can say in any position. But in the meanwhile, I'm learning that it's only when you're going in your own way, then you're obligated to read the Shema versus if you're going to do a mitzvah, you're exempt from reading the Shema. Tommy Rabban and the rabbis learn, says, by the two dots. That you, that you have to stand up and read. Yeshua no, Basila says you can stand and read, you can sit and read. you can lean down and read, you can lie down and read. you can walk in the way and you read. you can do work and read. Later on, the Gemara will say, if you're traveling in the way, you should stop. In other words, it's hard to concentrate when you're walking. So at least you should stop. You know, people are walking back and forth in the shul and davening. It's not only hard to, for them hard to concentrate; it's hard for everyone else to concentrate. But when you when but everything else you can do really biblically. You can walk and read any position do you want. There was a story. Rabbi Shmuel, They were together. Rabbi Shmuel was lying down. He was standing. When it came time to read the Shema, hit the Rabbi Lazar. Rabbi Lazar lie down. It was the evening Shema. The Zark of Rabbi Yishmol and Rabbi Yishmol stood up. Rabbi Yishmol, who was lying down, stood up. Oh, Malay Rabbi Lazar ben Azar Rabbi No, I'm sorry, it was in the morning Shema. Oh, Malay Rabbi Lazar ben Azar Rabbi Yishmol. Yishmol, Achi Yishmol, my brother, Emshel Hamash. I'll give you an example. Why did Rabbi Yishmol stand up? He wanted to follow the law of, of, of Beishamay. Beishamay says that in the morning you have to stand up, you have to say it in a stand, upright position. So he was sitting down. So Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Shmuel. They, they live over here, Arvis. Rabbi Lazar was doing Beishamay, and Rabbi Shmuel didn't want to do Beishamay. Oh, oh, Rabbi Shmuel didn't want to do it. So was it night? Wait, if he's standing up, couldn't that also be Beis Hillel? Beis Hillel says, you can do whatever you want, no? Well, there's a yeah, story that comes... He specifically stood up. Oh, he's specific. He's trying to show... He's trying to do the opposite. Either he's doing Bishamah or he's trying to show I'm not like Bishamah. Oh, okay. Right, yeah, yeah, you're right. Right, so Rabbi Shmuel, right, it was at night, and Rabbi Shmuel stood up. That he can do it in any position. He didn't want to do it in the, in the position of Shammah. Abelazah ben Zari was standing up, lie down to do it in the position of Bishamah. So Rabbi Lazar says, Rabbi Shmuel, Shmuel, my brother, I'll give you a mashal. This is like mashal, you're praising someone. You're saying, oh, you have a nice beard. I'm going immediately to the barber to shave my beard. <laughs> Here, you were doing okay. You were lying down. Perfect. So why don't you continue to lie down and read the Shema? Instead, I was so happy. And instead, you stand up. 
Afkach, at the Kolzman Shani Zokuf, at the Mutter, you were lying down. Achshav, now Shani, Tezi, now that I lie down, in other words, I'm agreeing with your position that that's the right way to read the Shema. At the Zakafta, you immediately stand up. Rabbi Shmuel answered, I followed Beis Hillel, and you can read the Shema in any position. And you followed Beis Shema, you lie down to read it in the lying position. In addition, I made a point of standing up that the students should not watch me and they'll say that this is the law, that you have to lie down when you read the Shema. Why did he have to add? Because of if you're going to say, you can read in any position. So why did Rabbi Shmuel have to stand up? He's trying to explain himself. Why I specifically have to stand up? Why did I have to stand up? I'm lying down. That follows every position. Hillel says I can, I can read in any position. So it follows all opinions. I could remain lying down and read the Shema lying down. Shama will be happy. Hillel will be happy. Why did I make a point of standing up? So I'm explaining to you. That's only when you lie down and you happen to be lying down. So Shahilo says you can continue reading the Shema even while you're lying down. But now, you were standing. He's, he's saying, you were standing. You made a point to lie down to read the Shema. Had I not protested, did I not stand up? So all the students who were watching, that both rabbis hold that that's the correct way. You have to follow the opinion of Shema. You have to read it lying down. I made a point of standing up to show that that's, that's, that's not the case. We follow Hillel, you can read in any position. We learn, Nabi Cheskel says, also, also, you can follow every opinion, even though generally we say, whoever follows the opinion of Shammai, you're not allowed to follow, there's laws like Hillel, whoever follows the opinion of Shammai doesn't do anything here. There's no problem, because Hillel includes the, all the positions of Shammai. Hillel says, any position you're in is good, so, so whatever you want to do, it's fine. That's Rabbi Cheskel's opinion. Rabbi Yisuf says, no. Whoever follows the opinion of Shammai didn't do anything, did not fulfill the mitzvah of reading the Shema. Biblically did not fulfill the mitzvah of reading the Shema. The rabbis have this power, this incredible power. The way Tesis explains that the rabbis have this incredible power that they say you did not fulfill according to, to, um, according to Rabbi Yosef. The rabbis have the power to say you did not fulfill the Shema and you have to read the Shema over again. And he brings a proof. And now we learn the Mishnah. We have an argument in Sukkah. Two arguments in Shammai and Hillel. One argument is the size of the Sukkah. Shammai says the sukkah has to be large enough for a person and most of his body and a table. They all have to fit into the sukkah. And Hillel says, no. It's enough if you have uh, um, most of your body. Most of your body. The head and most of your body. Another argument is, what if you're sitting in a large sukkah, gigantic sukkah? But you yourself, only your head and most of your body is in the sukkah. The table that you're eating in is in the house. Because it's raining. <laughs> whatever, I don't know. Whatever. He's a fuss. He's raining. Whatever it is. This, the, the table's in the house. So there's an argument between Shammai and Hilbe. Shammai says that it's no good. You're not allowed to do that. Because we're worried, we're afraid you're going to stick your head into the house and eat, you know, over the table. <laughs> so you're going to eat outside the sukkah. Hilbe says, no, we're not worried. And it's okay. As long as you're in the sukkah, your head and most of your body is in the sukkah, it's fine. And the sukkah is big enough according to everyone. 
his head and his, most of his body was in the sukkah and his table was in the house and they said nothing to him in other words there was no problem with, they found no problem with it so they said to him the Bishame answered back to him no from there is a proof they also said to him, This is the way you acted. You did not fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah. Ever. Ever. <laughs> so how could you say you didn't fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah? Biblically, I ate in a sukkah. What are you telling me? Because there's a rabbinic decree that I'm not allowed to do so because maybe I may stick my head into the house and eat over the table. But what if I don't stick my head out in it? I ate in the sukkah. I took the food from the table and I ate in the sukkah. Have I fulfilled my mitzvah? <coughs> so the Shammai so Shammai says the rabbi the, 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 the elders of Shammai told Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yechon, that you never fulfilled if this is the way you ate, if this is how you eat, you never fulfilled the mitzvah of sukkah. The rabbis have the power to biblically tell them that you did not fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah. So too here. If a person is already lying down and he continues to lie down, that's okay. But to make a point of lying down, to make a point of lying down and to go against Hillel, in this case, the rabbis have the power and say you do not fulfill the mitzvah of Shema and you have to read the Shema over again. How do we hold down? So if we're saying Kriyat Shema Lamita, we should preferably sit up? Well, maybe the law is like, uh, well... No, right, no, no, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to make a point. If you're ready, I mean, I've had times I was ready in bed. It's time to say Shema. Right. I'm ready in bed, I have to say Shema. Right. So what's the problem? What's the problem? If, what's you're, the question? if you're already lying down, it's fine. To if say. you're sitting up, you specifically lie down, would potentially be a problem. But, but just to be in any position you want, then you're doing like myself. Myself says you can do any position anyway, right. so it's fine. Okay. So if you specifically change position, maybe. Okay, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very original and powerful position. The, the way, the way Tesis explains this whole thing. Rabbi Nachman Yitzchak, Rabbi Nachman Yitzchak says, "Oh, so good, Rabbi Shami, whoever does like the Rabbi Shami, Chayiv Misa, you deserve to die." Now we learn the Mishnah. Rabbi Parfer, Ani, Hayisi Babader, Rabbi Tesis, like the Rabbi Shami, Rabbi Sekanti, Basim Nel Listim. I'm like the Yisrael of Basim, Rabbi Shabbat, Rabbi Basilil. You were deserving because you violated the words of Yisrael. What's Rabbi Nachman Yitzchak telling us? He's just repeating a Mishnah we just read in the Mishnah. It's an open Mishnah. Because again, there's two ways to explain the Mishnah. One way of explaining the Mishnah is that by going down the donkey, he automatically endangered himself. Not that he, he caused any danger. The danger was natural. Really, he should have continued on his way and traveled and avoid danger. But he made a point of following Shammai to lie down. So by going, going off the donkey, he endangered himself. Wow. So they said, okay, so the rabbis told him, you know, you deserve it. Because you, you followed Shammai, Shammai and not Hillel. But here he's saying more so. He's saying, no, that's not what happened. What happened was there was no danger. There were no bandits. There was no danger. But when he went down, all of a sudden, miraculously, he found himself in danger. The danger happened because he violated the words of Shammai. To that extent, 
to that extent, because you violated, violated the words of Hillel, you went, you followed the words of Shammai, you deserved, Hashem made almost like a miracle, you deserve to die just for that. Not that there was a danger anyway, but you deserve to die. Hashem will not save you because you should have followed Hillel. It's a, here is much stronger than that. Not that Hashem is not going to save you. The whole death, the whole danger, the whole risk only happened just because, was triggered because you violated the words of Hashem. The words of Hillel. You followed Hashem. Okay. The next mission. Fourth mission. Which recorded on the first page of the, of the Gemara. Bashach in the morning. In the morning, Shema, you say two blessings before the Shema, one blessing afterwards. A bed of an evening, Mavadah, he blessed Shtayim Lefanesh, two blessings before, Shtayim Lacharem, two blessings after. Achas Arukov, Achas Ketzar. So Rashi says this, one of the, these two blessings after is a long blessing, the blessing of Emunah Kolzois. And the blessing of Ashkivenu is, is a short blessing. Taisvis argues, he says, Ashkivenu is not such a short blessing. Ashkivenu is, is a longer blessing than other blessings we consider long blessings, like the blessing of Abdullah, the blessing of Kiddush. Ashkivenu is quite a long blessing. How can you call it a short blessing? Even though in relation to Amunah, it's a short blessing. Shorter, but it's not a short blessing. Taisvis says he's referring to the blessing of Amunah. There, you, whether you make the Amunah, blessing of Amunah a long blessing, the way we say it, or in certain circumstances, you can even shorten the blessing, just get straight to the point. Hashem took us out of Egypt, and that's the whole blessing. Either way, it's kosher. Mark him, wherever the rabbis say, the rabbis instituted that the blessing should be long, and then Hashem you're not allowed to make, a, make it into a short blessing. Wherever the rabbis say, it's a short blessing, and then Hashem you're not allowed to turn it into a long blessing. Whatever the rabbis say, that you conclude the blessing with a blessing, for example, a long blessing, you conclude, you conclude with a Baruch HaTo Hashem, you're not allowed to conclude the blessing without saying the blessing. Whatever the rabbis say, you don't conclude with a blessing, for example, all the blessings over food. You just make one blessing in the beginning. You don't make a second blessing at the end, because it's a short blessing, it's too short. And you're not allowed to finish the blessing with a blessing with a Baruch HaTo Hashem. Okay, talk to him about Why do you say seven blessings? The rabbi says, the Yishalmi says, because it's David Amel says, Sheva Hilal I praise you with seven blessings. And because in, Jew, in Judaism, as we learned in the beginning, the night comes first, so we, it's only seven, so you have to divide it up. So we start the night with the four blessings two before, two after, and the day, three. My what blessing do you make? The first, the, the, first, the, the two blessings that you say in the morning before Shema, what are they? Hashem formed light and He created darkness. Let him say, He formed light. Noiga is like twilight or like dawn. You know, it's, it's like in between. And so it's a, it's a nicer way, it's a more refined way to say night. Night has very negative connotations. Nighttime, sorrows, problems. Noiga is, is like a twilight, it's a little light, it's a dawn, it's star, you start seeing it light, the sky lightens up, but you don't see the sun yet, it's something, it's still night. You say like Klipas Noga? Klipas Noga, exactly, Klipas Noga is the same thing, Noga has some light to it, it's a little light, it's basically dark, but it has a little light to it, so it's a much nicer way of saying it. Everything about the because he's quoting a Pasuk, this is what he says in the Pasuk. It's a verse, it's a verse in Isaiah. If that's the case, why Why do you continue? You say, and then you say, Hashem makes peace and He creates everything. It's not what the Pasuk says. The Pasuk says, He creates evil. 
We don't say it as it's written. Hello. The positive says it. We change it. We don't want to say that. It's nice, nasty. So we say, He creates everything. Let's change the Pasuk. Yes, this is the Pasuk, but this is prayer. Let's say, The whole point of the blessing is that we have to mention in each of the blessings, even the morning blessing, we have to mention night, and even in the night blessing, we have to mention day. So you have to be clear. You have to say night. Night means the whole night. Neuge can mean maybe twilight or dawn. It's, it's just, it's just the, so you have to say clearly, so you have to speak clearly, so therefore you say Laila. We find in the morning prayer, we say, we mention the night. Like we said, we say, Hashem forms light and He creates darkness. Why do we have to mention both if it's a morning bracha? That's what He says. We have to, we have to mention, because that the two go hand in hand. The whole point is, we're trying to say, those who want to make a distinction, the, the Zoroasters, the whole religion was ma- making a distinction between uh, night and day. There's the God of the, of the light, the God of the good, and there's the God of the evil. They want to make a split between the good and the evil, night and day. A Jew believes in monotheism. Monotheism means the same Hashem who creates night creates, creates darkness. There is no, there's no split. The same Hashem creates good and evil. It's all Hashem. There's no, there's no there's Satan, and then there's, there, there's God. The holiness and the opposite. It's, everything is Hashem. So that's such an, such an essential faith. These are the blessings before the Shema, before we reject any idolatry and we're affirming the Achdus, the unity of Hashem. So that's what we start out. Hashem creates night. There's no distinction between night and day. Hashem does both. He just made a boundary between them, but He creates both. So therefore, we see in the morning, we, we mention night. So what do you see in the evening blessing? What do, do you see? Who mentions day? Yes, we do, in the blessing. We say, Hashem pushes away light before, before the dark, chases away the light before the darkness. And then he moves away the light. When the sun comes up, he moves away the light before it. Now, by the way, means he creates darkness. There are those opinions that say that darkness is just the absence of light, but it's not true. Darkness is, is substance. Beide, you create, you don't create absence. And today we know that in science, dark matter, dark energy, the dark holes, the, the darkness is very real. <laughs> it's not just absence of light. Darkness is more real than light. It's so powerful. So, he creates, Hasidus discusses, the, right, the different levels of light. There was the first stage, the second stage, right? Hasidus discusses the light. There's different levels of darkness. There's darkness is just the absence of light, but there's a, there's a, a light, a darkness which is a substance. That's the first blessing. What's the second blessing we say before the Shema in the morning? Abundant love, Avarabba. We love Hashem with an abundant. Avarabba Avtanu. Hashem loves us with abundant love. The chain Eidel Eidel Abelazal Abel does, but Avarabba. Avarabba. And I'm not going to say the Brisin name. We don't say Avarabba. We say Avarabba with abundant love. But Abundant Rabbi, the Rabbis disagree, and this is the majority opinion. Avarabba. We say Avarabba. The chain Eidel is based on the verse. An eternal love. Avarabba Avticha. Hashem says, I love you with an eternal love. So we say, Avas Elam. And that's, so that's what we follow. We follow the opinion, the Rif and the other, the Svaradim say, we say, Avas Elam, both in the morning and at night. Uh, some say, the Ashkenazim, what they do is in the morning they say, Avarabah, and in the evening they say, Avas Elam. 
Yeah, the Rabbanan. But we find later on in the Gemara, the Gemara keeps on referring to Averab. Even though the one who says that is, is Shmuel. <laughs> so it's very easy to explain that Shmuel is following his own opinions. He's Averab. But since the Gemara quotes it many times, so what they do is they, they try to do in the morning, they split it up in the morning and in the evening. Okay. Actually, if a person wakes up to study Torah, wakes up early. He didn't re- yet read the Shema. You have to make a blessing before you study the Torah. You have to make a blessing. Some say that the blessing for reading the Torah is actually biblical. Nachmanides holds it's biblical. But the Rambam does not hold like that. He holds it's not biblical. Some say that the blessing you make when you're called up to the Torah in public, that is biblical. But the Rambam says, no, all these blessings are rabbinic. But nevertheless, rabbinically, you're obligated to make a blessing for reading of the Torah. So since you're reading the Torah, you're studying Torah before you read the Shema, you have to make a blessing. But if you already read the Shema and you want to learn Torah, and you didn't yet make a blessing for the Torah, you don't have to make a separate blessing for reading for, for learning Torah. Why? Because you're already exempt by making the blessing of Avarabba. In the blessing of Avarabba, we, we ask Hashem in the middle of the blessing, Hashem, open our hearts and other to, to, to your Torah, we should understand it, we should learn it. So that blessing already includes the Torah. And by the way, the, the, the whole discussion, because the Talmud just says it as a fact, that if you say the blessing, if you're ready, let's say you forgot to make the blessings, in the, uh, in the mor- we make the blessing in the morning, first thing in the morning, we make the blessing over studying Torah. What if you didn't, you forgot, and you already said, do you have to make a blessing after davening, you want to learn? So the Gemara says here, you don't have to. And that's it, without any qualification. The, the Jerusalem Talmud, however, makes a qualification. He says that's only true if immediately, after you made the blessing, you study Torah. But if you didn't immediately study Torah, then that blessing no longer applies. And there's two ways to interpret it. One way of interpreting it is because the blessing Avaz Elam, is not a blessing for Torah. It's a blessing for Shema. But if you immediately study Torah, then you're telling us that you had a mind to study Torah. But if you don't study Torah immediately, then I can't say that blessing is for, 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 for Avazel. And that's why it only works if you immediately study Torah. The question is, but I read the Shema. Shema is studying Torah. So again, the Jerusalem Talmud would say, yeah, but since I'm saying the Shema as davening, I'm saying it part of davening, I'm not reading the Shema as part of learning Torah. Since I'm not reading the Shema as part of learning Torah, as part of davening, that doesn't count as, 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 as studying Torah. So unless you actually study something of Torah afterwards, immediately, then it doesn't count. There's one opinion that says Yerushalmi is telling us that, and with that, that the blessing only helps for the Torah that you learn immediately after davening. But it doesn't cover the Torah you're going to learn for the rest of the day. If immediately study Torah after davening, okay, you're covered with this blessing. But if you want to study Torah later on in the day, you interrupt it and you go to work, and now I want to sit down to learn Torah, that blessing of Avad Abba doesn't help you. I need a proper blessing for studying the Torah. Right, if you say Avad Elam, then, then, then you eat it. Does it say... Does it say right. Does it say you have to learn? Okay, we have, we have to look what it says. But the discussion is, everyone discusses why, why is the blessing of Torah different than all other blessings? 
all other blessings, if you make an interruption, if you put on tefillin, you wear it sits it's talus, and your talus falls off. You put it back on, you have to make another blessing. You take off your tefillin, you, you, you go do, do other things, you come back, you, you, you have to make a blessing. Why, when it comes to Torah, one blessing is enough. You do one blessing in the morning, and that blessing continues the whole day into the night, until you go to sleep. Why? Why is that different? Sukkah. I'm eating in a sukkah. I make a blessing in the morning, but then you go out, you, you sit down in the sukkah again at night, you have to make another blessing. So, so the explanation is, because the mitzvah of studying Torah is constant. The mitzvah of studying Torah is all day. So since my obligation is all day, so there's no interruption. Any opportunity I have, I have to study Torah. I practically didn't have an opportunity. So the blessing you make in the morning applies immediately. So even though, uh, therefore, unlike any other mitzvah, other mitzvahs, you, as soon as you do the blessing, you have to do the mitzvah. And if you don't do the mitzvah, it's considered an, uh, an interruption. And when you do the mitzvah, you have to make the blessing again. With the blessing of Torah, it's not like that. I can make the blessing and not study Torah until three hours later, and the blessing still applies. Nevertheless, our custom is, in the morning when we daven, we say immediately words of Torah. Right after the blessing, we say uh, the, the, the priestly blessing, we say psukim from, from the Torah, and we say the Mishnah and, and, and the Brisa, because we want to immediately fulfill the mitzvah of studying Torah, even though technically you don't have to. Because this is a unique blessing. Okay. He's, um, Rav Huna says, of the opinion that you only have to make a blessing for Torah, only if you study the five books of Moshe, only if you study the Mikra. I guess the five books of Moshe, maybe the whole Tanakh. Well, the Midrash, if you're studying the Midrash, the interpretation of the verses, ain't Sadaq Levadik, you don't have to make a blessing on Torah. Rabbi Lazar says you have to make a blessing for the Torah before you study, not only before you study the Chumash, even before you study the Medrash, because it's also an interpretation of the, of the Psukim, of the Chumash. Tzadok Levadah, Rabbi Lemishnah, Tzadok Levadah, Lemishnah, you don't have to study, the oral Torah, you don't have to study. Rabbi Yechonim, Rabbi Yechonim, after the Mishnah, you also have to make, uh, also for the Mishnah, because the oral Torah interprets the written Torah. Aval the Talmud, but the Talmud, that's ex- an explanation of the Mishnah, ain't Tzadok Levadah, you don't have to make a blessing for Torah if you're studying Talmud. And this is the halacha like before you study any parts of Torah, even Talmud, you must, you must, you must, you must make a bracha. Many times, I was in front of Rav Lesnuya Pirkin Besifra to learn different chapters of Sifra, which explains the verses in the Torah. But he didn't just; it wasn't just like learning Mishnah or Medrash. He interpreted and explained it. It was like Gemara. It was like a real learning. And nevertheless, he made a bracha. The Rav have a makdim a kamashi. Before he taught us, he would he would wash his hands, ubarach, and he would make the bracha of the blessing of the Torah. Masan lampirke. Okay, my mavarach. What's the blessing? Amar Rabbi Yudam Shmuel, Asher Kedushon, Nu b'Mitzvahs of Itzivan, Alasik with the Torah, the mitzvah to to engage in the study of Torah. Rabbi Yechonon Messiah, but Rabbi Yechonon would conclude this blessing. Hadiv Nasham Alekeinu, Stivris Roscha, Befinu, Pifias Amcha Beis Yisrael, Benia Nachnu, Vitzetzeinu, and our children, Vitzetzei Amcha Beis Yisrael, and all the children of the household of Israel, of your, of your nation of Israel. Kolonu Yedish Mecha, we should know your name. Ba'iski Teroscha, we should engage in Teroscha. Barachato Hashem, blessed are you Hashem, Amlam Teroscha, Amlam Yisrael. So from, this, from the language of Rabbi Yechonon, he used to conclude the blessing, it would seem to be that it's actually one long blessing. It's, it's not two separate blessings, it's one long blessing that starts with a baruch and ends with a baruch. 
Because the question is, why doesn't, and that's why some say vihadivna. Vihadivna means it's a continuation of the, of the first blessing. It's one long blessing. Because the question is, why, if you say it's a separate blessing, then why doesn't it start with a baruch? And you can't say because since it follows another blessing, we have a rule. When a second blessing follows a first blessing, the first baruch continues on to both blessings. That's only true if the first blessing is a long blessing. If the first blessing is a short blessing, for example, Kiddush and Avdallah, you make a blessing, Baruch HaTashem, Baruch HaTashem, and then you say, Baruch HaTashem, and then you make an, another blessing, Baruch HaTashem, why? It's like a continuation of the previous blessing, because you only say a continuation if the first blessing is a long blessing, not if the first blessing is such a short blessing, that Baruch is not strong enough to go on the second blessings. You have to start the second So why don't you start the Harav Noah with the Baruch Atta? So according to this opinion, the answer is because it's a continuation of, of the first blessing. Um, others say no. Those who disagree say that even in a case of a short blessing, the second blessing, you won't start with a butter, which would explain why the Hadav no wouldn't start with a butter, even if it's, own, even, even if it's with... Um, no, so others say really it is its own blessing. Right? Why doesn't it start with a blessing? So they say because it's a blessing of praise. It's really more a blessing of praise. For a mitzvah, you only do one blessing. A mitzvah, you only, really, any mitzvah in the world, you only do one blessing. Who makes two separate blessings for one single mitzvah? It's almost unheard of. A mitzvah, you do one blessing. Why are you saying a second blessing? It's a blessing of praise. So a blessing of praise, it doesn't have to start with, with the, with the, with the baruchat. The blessing you make for Torah is a Shabbat Abanu Mikalam that he chose us from all the nations. Not only the lesson he gave us is Torah, but a Chata Hashem. Nice and not Torah, blessed be Hashem, who's giving us the Torah in the present. Hashem is constantly giving us the Torah. This is the best of the blessings. Therefore, we say all three. We say actually all three blessings. The one in charge, either was a deputy high priest or the one in charge of the Kohenim, when they used to gather in the morning by dawn, they would gather in the Beis Hamikdash. she would tell them, make one blessing, only one blessing before the Shema, instead of the two blessings. They made that blessing, and they read a set of the Ten Commandments, and then they read the Shema, the three Parshias, and then they would bless the nation. They would, they would bless, together with everyone else, three blessings. They would say, the blessing after the Shema, then they would say from the Shemineserei, they would only they wouldn't daven the whole Shemineserei. They were too busy. The Kainim were busy doing the service in the temples. So they were exempt from from davening the Shemineserei. This is in the times of the Second Temple when the Shemineserei was already instituted, and they would say the blessing of Emes Viyatziv. I'm sorry, They would say the blessing of Ritzei, which is the blessing where we ask Hashem that He should find the service in the temple pleasing. Or Birchas Kainim. So Rashi says it means the, uh, the priestly blessing. Taisus argues, how can you do a priestly blessing, raise your hands to a priestly blessing? No individual ever does a, a, a priestly blessing. So he says, a brichus means sim shalom, the blessing of sim shalom, which, was, which usually follows the blessing of, of, uh, um, of the priestly blessing. 
But the Shabbos, on Shabbos, they would add another bracha, because on Shabbos, there would be an exchange of the guards. Every week, another uh, family of the Kainim, another group would be responsible. The Kainim would divide into 24 groups. Every week, they would be responsible. When would be the switch of the guards in the afternoon, uh, in the afternoon uh, sacrifice, so the, uh, the old guard would leave and the new guard would, would come in. So that day, that morning, they had both guards there. So the guard that's leaving would make a blessing. My bracha achas. Oh, they make a special blessing to the to the uh, to the new for, for the for the mishmar that left. Okay. Oh, maybe we'll make a blessing for the new mishmar for the new guards that are coming in for the new group that's coming in. We'll give them a blessing that Hashem should find their service pleasing. Okay. My brachas. Which blessing? Which of these two blessings did the kainim say? Did they say yeser or did they say avasaylo? They asked, This is what Shemuel said. The blessing was, That's the blessing that they made. That's what he said. No, the blessing they made was we never heard him say clearly that that's the blessing. We derive it, we derive it, we understood from what he taught us, we understood that that's the blessing that the Kayanim said. How do we know this? This teaches us, the fact that the priest said one blessing, this teaches us, that these two blessings do not stop one another. Let's say I only say one blessing, or I only have a chance to say one blessing, I can't say it's a package deal, either, either all or nothing. No, even if I can make one blessing, it's good enough. From this, the fact that the Kohenim only said one blessing, this teaches me this halacha. So now, let's think about this. If you're going to say this one blessing the Kayin make is the blessing of Yetzir, then I can understand that it teaches us since they omitted the blessing of Avasaylam and they only said the blessing of Yetzir, it comes to teach me that one is independent of the other, I can do one without the other. So this teaches me this halach, but if you're going to say like the um, If you're going to say that the blessing is Avarabba, like Shmuel said, if that's the case, then it makes no sense. My How can you tell me that this teaches us that the blessings are independent of each other? Dilma, perhaps, you, know, you want to know why they didn't say Yetzirai? It wasn't the time yet because they used to gather at dawn. And we learned earlier, Rabbi Kiva said, that you're allowed to read the Shema from dawn if you have no choice. So the Kainim were too busy a whole day. They had no choice. So they were allowed to read the Shema early. But the blessings, the, the average Jew was not allowed to read the Shema then. Only the Kainim were allowed to read the Shema. So the rest of the Jewish people had to wait until the other times that we learn, when it starts getting light outside. So therefore the Kainim, since they only had time for one bracha, so if they had time for one bracha, the reason why they didn't say Yetzir Eir is because it, because it wasn't light yet. So they chose the bracha of Avaselim. 
Maybe later on, if they would have time, they would say it later. So how can you prove to me the reason, the reason they, they, that one bracha is independent, that one bracha stops the other? Maybe they, they would say the other bracha. They would say it later. They would say both brachas. The only thing you, that could teach me is, later on, they would say it a little later. Maybe both blessings are, are dependent on each other. You do have to say both blessings. But they, it was too early to say it. Ma, they have no choice, they have to say it immediately, and they would say it later. And they, but at the end, they would say both blessings. I didn't have proof that they only said one blessing. The whole day went by, and they only said one blessing, and that was okay. So your mother says, what's the difference if you learn it from whether he said it openly, or whether you understood it from what he taught you? What difference does it make? So he said, because if the way we explain now, that he never said it openly, he never said that that's what they said yesterday. They just deduced it. It was a deduction from what he taught. I can tell you, really, I can tell you it's no proof. Maybe the blessing was the blessing of Avadabh. And really, you're right. When the time came, when, it, when the light came out, uh, uh, they did say Yetzirah. So they ended up saying both blessings. Say the brachas. What he means to say is, what he meant to say is, that the order of the blessings, you, really the blessings are not independent of each other. You must make both blessings to fulfill your obligation. But the order of the blessings are not strict. Our order is first Yetzirah and then Avaselam. The Kayanim reversed it. Since they gathered at dawn, so first they said Avaselam, and only later on when it, when, it, when it turned light, then they said the blessing of Yetzirah. But the law is, the law remains that actually the two blessings are independent of each other. If a person, after the fact, only said one blessing, if a person only has time for one blessing, and don't say it's all or nothing, so why even bother? No, make that one blessing. And the reason why the Kayanim said Yetzirah, according to this opinion, if the Kayanim said, how could they say Yetzirah? He's proving that they said Yetzirah. How could they say Yetzirah? It was still dawn. Because since it was light enough to say the Shema, after dawn the light does, the sky does light up. It starts getting lighter. You can detect it. You don't see a sun yet, but you see the light, it's lightens. Yeah, the sky lightens. So since they had permission to say the Shema, they had permission to make the blessing, the Yetzirah, that goes together with the Shema. How is it too early to say the second bracha if they're already saying Shema? No, too early to say the first, the first bracha. No, that, that, fine, but if you have a choice, so they, 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 they only have time for one brach. They only have time for one brach because they have to do the service. So better say, and you'll say, yeah, a little later. If you're, saying, if you're saying that you must make the two blessings, that you can't, and you have to make a blessing before the Shema, they're obligated to. You can't exempt them from that obligation. And you have to make two blessings because you, you can't have one without the other. But what you could do is you can divide it say this immediately, and you can say it with the Shema. And, and later on, you'll, you'll, you'll make a moment of time to say the second blessing. When it turns light, you say it today. Since he says, we learn from here that, you only, that each, you only have to make one blessing and you fulfilled your obligation. I don't need to say two. Therefore, it must be the bracha of, of Yetzirah. That proves to me that one, I can have one without the other. Because there's no point, if I had to make a choice, why, why you today? I would say, I was, so, so why the fact that I chose, it must be that the blessing that they made was Yetzirah. And 
And therefore he says that they didn't have to say Avada. If you have to say both blessings, then you should have said both together. You have no choice. Make the time. You're already saying yes or no. Say already This week, so he, he deduces that that's the blessing that the priests make. I guess when the Besamekdash is built, we'll find out.